everyone and welcome to the Delicious Yellow podcast with me, Ella Mills. So for today's episode, I have literally never, ever had more listener or reader questions. I mean, literally thousands and thousands and thousands of them. So I think today's topic is something that we can all be a bit shy about, we're a bit awkward, embarrassed about talking about it, something we're actually quite uneducated on. Yet it's something that plays such a fundamental impact in our lives, in our well-being, both physically and emotionally for all kinds of different reasons. So today we are talking periods. We're talking female hormones, female sexual health, and I guess just kind of again coming back to what we always like to come back to on the podcast is being empowered in ourselves, in our bodies, in our well-being. So to talk us through this, we've got the brilliant Maisie Hill, who's written the best book that I've read in a while called Period Power. She's a women's health expert and practitioner, and we're going to get into what's happening inside our bodies. So the questions that kept coming up were like, why are my periods painful? Why are they short? Why are they long? Why are they light? Why are they heavy? Why are they regular? Why are they regular? Why have they stopped? How could I get them back? It impacts us so much and we don't understand it and so hopefully today we can so thank you Maisie thank you for coming thanks for having me so can we actually start with why we're so awkward about periods and there's this brilliant quote at the start of your book from Gloria Steinman that says if men had periods menstruation would become an enviable boastworthy event men would brag about how long and how much and that made me laugh so much last night Obviously, it's a generalization, and I do appreciate that for any of our male listeners, but it's also quite yeah, true, yeah. actually. And so I guess I want to start with that. Why, why are we shamed of it, and how do we start to change that conversation? Yeah, I think she was bang on the money with, <laughs> with yeah. that, and it's a fabulous essay to read. And I think it, it really would be entirely different if it was something that happened to men's bodies, and it can happen to men who are trans, just to, you know, put that out there as well but I think there's a part like Britishness to it Mm. but this conversation goes beyond our UK borders and it's you know across the board there tends to be inherent shame and embarrassment uh, disgust and fear of it sometimes as well I, I always come back to the first story I ever heard that was significant about periods and it was about the guy who set up the Samaritans and he talked about how someone from his community had started her period. No one had told her what a period was. I think her mother had died and she'd committed suicide because she thought she was dying and that there was something wrong with her. And that has just always stayed with me. And obviously that's a very extreme example of things. But I think we do really need to examine all our feelings around menstruation and often it comes from things that are just passed down through our families and often when you untangle that first story it ends up being a pretty much exact replica of their mother's experience so it's always interesting to go through like the maternal line and talk about how our menstruating bodies are viewed were they seen as problematic was it a celebration there's so many things tangled up in it And I think we need to really look at that and just how we are raising young people to be aware of menstruating bodies and what they mean. 
I mean, I'm completely obsessed and any of our listeners will probably have picked up on this by now of like the importance of why in life, you know, understanding like what is happening, why that has an impact on us and why that's a good thing, a bad thing or just significant in any capacity. And I feel like that's just missed out entirely when it comes to periods. Like our sex education is so minimal. Once, for example, we were actually talking about skin. It was our skincare episode. And our brilliant expert on that episode was talking about how the hormones can fluctuate, obviously, and why that can cause breakouts. And that actually, that's a really amazing thing in lots of ways, because it means your body is doing what it's kind of traditionally supposed to do. So those breakouts are a sign often of actually like a healthy body. And when you start seeing it like that, you start looking at these things with so much more of a kind of kind and respectful view of yourself. And so could you give us like a basic biology lesson? What is a period? (laughs) What's going on? So this is so important because firstly, like you said, just a general education and understanding our bodies. But I'm such a big fan of understanding the cycle and of tracking the cycle because ultimately it gifts you with a way of understanding yourself and speaking to yourself with more kindness. And that can be revolutionary, is totally life-changing. That's the feedback I get again and again and again is, why didn't someone tell me this when I was 13? My mental health would have been so much better had someone told me these things. So... Yes, it's definitely about the physical aspect, but it's definitely about the mental, emotional Mm. side of things too. So your period is menstruation, and that's when your body has detected that pregnancy hasn't occurred in a cycle. And it's the process where you're shedding the lining of your womb, your endometrium, ahead of a fresh cycle in which your the lining of your womb will plump up and develop all over again to prepare itself for possible pregnancy. Okay, and a regular cycle, people say, is 28 days. Because I think one of the questions that kept coming up with the, our readers was, what is normal? Yeah. You know, like, what's heavy? What's light? How long should it be? You know, I think there's a lot of confusion just in... I mean, I'm sure it's really hard to define normal anyway, but... What what are we kind of looking at there? Yeah, so there's variations of this even amongst healthcare practitioners. So most medical practitioners would tell you that a normal length menstrual cycle, so a menstrual cycle, just to clarify, is from day one of your period to the first day of the next period. Okay. So a period is when you're bleeding, but your menstrual cycle is the events of a full month or so of hormone fluctuations. And you measure that from day one of your period? Yes. Because I had this really embarrassing moment when I got pregnant and I went to my doctor and he said, okay, well, where are you in your cycle? And I said, I'm so sorry. I don't know. Like, when when does my cycle start? I didn't know if it was the day after my period or the beginning of my period. And it was a really eye-opening experience, actually, for me. And he was like, well, when were you ovulating? And I was like... I, again, I have no idea. And it's the same. It's like the fear that you can get pregnant every single day of your cycle. Yeah. But that's not true. That happens all the time in my conversations with women. They're like, oh, I thought a cycle was my period. Because we often say, oh, I'm cycling. Mm. You know, So sometimes the language around how we talk about periods can confuse things. But it's this is basic information that we should all be brought up knowing, really, because it gives us greater power over our own body just by understanding it. So... A healthy cycle 
or a normal length menstrual cycle is considered to be from 21 days in length to 35 days. Okay, so a big variation actually. That is a big variation and because of my work working one-on-one with women as a practitioner and doing acupuncture and doing a lot of fertility work, I've got a stricter range of dates, let's okay. say. So I like my clients to have a menstrual cycle that is between 26 days and 32 days. Okay. It is to me, a cycle that's 21 days is on the short side and there's quite possibly a hormonal imbalance going on. And likewise, if it's quite long or if there's wide variations uh, month by month, then that's an indicator that something needs to be looked at and just to figure out what exactly is going on and if there's a problem. Okay, so you can also use your period as an interesting indicator for your kind of well-being. Totally, yeah. And this is actually something that the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists recommend that the period be considered a fifth vital sign because it gives us so much information about women. And that's especially true in Chinese medicine. We can differentiate a lot by knowing the ins and outs of someone's cycle. So across these, let's just say 28 days, just to kind of keep it, but roughly yeah. 28 days yeah, or which, so. Just to point out is that's said to be the average, Yeah, but it's only, I think, 12.4% of people who menstruate who have a 28-day cycle. So that's the thing we often see in media and read about in books is this 28 days. And if you're not 28 days, you start to feel like you're abnormal. But you're actually part of 87.5% of people. Exactly. Cool. Your maths is better than mine. (laughs) I try. I try. That's really interesting. Okay. But so within this kind of rough time period of a month or so, I think we often see it as like the time that we're bleeding is the time that we're kind of focused on. But actually, am I right in saying there's a huge amount happening in our bodies that we could potentially be aware of to understand ourselves a bit better and our well-being a bit better across every single day of that? Yeah, totally. So it's quite common for people to focus on their period because that's such an outward expression Mm. of the cycle and it's very clear that you have your period and there's measures that we all need to take in order to manage our periods. And sometimes people might pay attention to the premenstrual phase, you know, like before their periods do, they might feel a bit low and a bit teary or a bit agitated. So there's probably maybe four or five days that we might pay attention to, but there's the whole rest of the cycle and the hormone fluctuations that happen across the menstrual cycle have a massive impact on energy and mood and behaviour. And when you track your cycle, you can actually get to know your days and start to realise actually how predictable we all are. So although our experiences will all vary from person to person, they tend to be quite predictable cycle after cycle. Is it right that we have four phases? Yeah. So what are the four phases? So menstruation, when you have your period, is your winter phase. Okay. And then as you come out of your period, you enter the spring phase of your cycle. Then just before ovulation, you head into summer. And then at some point between ovulation and your period starting again, you enter the autumn phase. So the seasons are distinct in their qualities, but they can vary in length from person to person. Okay. And what's happening in each one? Will you give us a kind of rough breakdown? Sure. So in winter, uh, your hormone levels are very low and you don't have much going on. So you enter winter just before or as your period is starting. Hormone levels are low, so you can often feel 
quite fatigued, not very interested in the world. It just women often say they don't have much get up and go at that phase and winter can be quite hard. It's a time I would say to lay low even if you don't have particular symptoms like period pain or flooding. It's a good time to rest and recalibrate and just take some time for yourself and try and build up your energy for later on in the cycle mm. when things get more productive. But from day 3, so that's day 3 of your period, there's estrogen starts to do its thing and some people are really sensitive to that and they can really notice a change in positivity and energy from day 3. So again, as you said, it helps you be so much kinder to yourself because if you understand, do you know what? I feel a bit flat, a bit lackluster. And you know that's because, you know, a very normal, actually brilliant yeah. hormonal thing is happening in your body. We want that to be happening because that's a sign as you said of good health. Then you kind of you're so much more accepting and understanding of it. Yeah. Otherwise, when you don't understand why you're feeling a bit crap, you just have this kind of slightly resentful view of yourself almost where you think oh, I'm a bit useless I'm this and that you're not useless yeah you just may be feeling a bit raw and vulnerable because yeah. you haven't got much estrogen on your side so then what happens as you come out of your period does the next cycle start as you stop bleeding let's say your period finishes on day 5 then you might feel like you're still in your winter but you're definitely heading towards spring and i would say the qualities of spring that people notice is hopefully a real upsurge in energy and being interested in the world again because this is when estrogen really gets going if people are feeling quite fatigued in their spring so this is like pre ovulation but after your period has ended if there's fatigue and just not not up for doing much then i really recommend looking at a full blood test just to check your iron levels with your gp because often there can be iron deficiency going on especially post period yeah. and that can just make life a lot harder um, mentally and physically but the spring season is ideally really playful and there's a nice curiosity there and it's a great time for creativity whether you consider yourself to be a creative person or not it's a time when people often come up with good ideas and solutions to things and want to explore them want to work as a team with other people so it's it can be a really fun phase but it's a phase that you don't want to take yourself too seriously in so when you have ideas i think it's our inclination as grown-ups to want to jump ahead to mm. getting them sorted and all, and all tied up but if you have a few pathways available to you of doing things you just want to take a few steps down each and like play around with things and see what sticks and what works okay and it's a nice phase to be social in as well and to be it's for me I have a 3-year-old son so it's a great phase to be parenting in because I have a curiosity and a playfulness that matches his age and stage Amazing. And then you go into the third stage, which is when you're ovulating, is that correct? Yes. At day 14 in a 28-day cycle. Okay. And how yeah. many days are you ovulating for? It's it's only one day that you're ovulating for. So is that only one day you Sorry, see my complete it. ignorance yeah. here. Is that only one day you can get pregnant? It's not. So ovulation itself is just one day, one 24-hour period. But that doesn't mean that there's one day a month that you can conceive in sperm can survive in the female reproductive system for 
up to five days in the presence of cervical fluid, which we all produce in the build-up to ovulation. So you could have sex on day nine or day 10, and if there's sperm left in you from having sex, like if you haven't used a condom, for example, then those sperm can just be lurking out in your fallopian tubes waiting for ovulation to happen. And when you ovulate, that is when you release an egg? Correct, Just yeah. To- yeah. Okay. Getting my basic biology yeah. down. That's so interesting. So you can get pregnant for around like four or five days then of a cycle. Yeah. We tend to consider it like six to seven days to okay. be on on the safe side. Or you know, if that's when you if you're actively trying to conceive, then that's really helpful information to know. Okay. But most people don't. Totally. You know, lots of women are potentially really not trying to get pregnant at a certain yeah. point in their life, and they're very nervous about kind of different contraceptions and we'll, we'll come on to that in a minute but it's really I find that really interesting as well because we feel like we could get pregnant anytime we have sex but actually it is impossible isn't it at certain points in your cycle yeah. to get pregnant yeah and it will vary depending on like how long your cycle is so people who have yeah. quite a short cycle it's even possible for them to conceive in a cycle if they have sex towards the end of their period mm. because if ovulation is happening a lot earlier in their cycle then that's possible. So this is just why it's so important to know the ins and outs of your particular cycle. Mm-hmm. And there are professionals who can really help with identifying when you're fertile and when you're not so that you can uh, use fertility awareness as a method to either avoid pregnancy or to achieve it. And so during ovulation, that's when you feel your best. Is that right? Within the cycle often? Yes. Yeah. I mean, which makes sense from a kind of like evolutionary perspective is when you want to be like showing off isn't it yeah this is the thing so regardless of whether you want to have kids or not mother nature has us primed to seek out connection in the build-up to ovulation because estrogen's job is to make us horny interested in other people and to get us laid because ultimately that's what your body is trying to achieve whether you want it or not so estrogen makes us quite chatty and social. Some people around ovulation find it harder to get their work done because they just want to be out and about doing things. Uh, So it's actually a good time to schedule in work stuff that's social, like meeting people for lunch or having big team meetings, but also for giving public speaking. So when you transition into your summer, so let's say that's like roughly day 11, 12 in a 28-day cycle, that's just as oestrogen is peaking and testosterone gets going as well so there's a lot going on in terms of our ambition and drives sexual desire and like you said ideally feeling really good in ourselves and feeling really comfortable but some people will struggle at ovulation and that can be because they might feel unsure about being visible in the world Mm -hmm. and certainly if there are any fertility issues going on there can be a moment of tension in the cycle where you might be feeling good, but there might be so much pressure on that time of the cycle that it's hard to really embrace it. Yeah, absolutely. And then what happens as we go into stage four? That's PMS. Yeah, We've got loads to talk about here. I don't even know what PMS stands for. It used to be PMT, which was premenstrual tension. Yeah. And PMS is premenstrual syndrome. Okay. So... Summer can last beyond ovulation, maybe as far as day 20 in a 28-day cycle. But some people, particularly people who have 
PMS or the extreme form of it, which is called premenstrual dysphoric disorder, PMDD. Sometimes they their mood and energy will plummet immediately after ovulation because there's a real hormonal drop-off. Okay. So around ovulation, just before it, you've got oestrogen peaking, you've got testosterone, and then suddenly they all do a runner because they're involved in ovulation. So oestrogen is involved in ovulation and with preparing the lining of the uterus, mm-hmm. the endometrium, for the second phase of the cycle. But the second phase of the cycle is dominated by another hormone, which is called progesterone, which is essential for conceiving and sustaining a pregnancy. So oestrogen drops off. It does have a second rise after ovulation, but it takes a while to get going. And also progesterone can take a while to get going because it's produced as a result of ovulation. So whilst your body's getting those two hormones going again, there can be a couple of days that might feel a bit rough immediately after ovulation. But some people, like people who have premenstrual dysphoric disorder, might just have two whole weeks between ovulation and their period starting where they feel absolutely horrific. So they might hit their autumn immediately after ovulation. So I find that the timing of summer into autumn is the one that varies the most with the women I work with just because it's so dependent on our levels of self-care, what's going on in our relationships, work life, you know, it's just so variable. So the kind of key questions, okay, which I'm fascinated, first of all, what are cramps? Um, yeah. Why do we get them? So we've got to start there. Then other things like why bloating? You know, it's yeah. quite common to get really bloated before your period. But then also like often like as you go onto your period, you can actually get quite upset stomachs or maybe yeah. kind of constipation, but you just get kind of different digestive system than normal. So can we start with those three? Yeah. A lot of these are down to the hormonal balance between oestrogen and progesterone or our sensitivity to those hormones. Okay. So progesterone, as I said, is really involved in pregnancy. So in the second half of your cycle when progesterone is high, one of its actions is slowing down your digestive transit time Mm -hmm. so that your body has more opportunities to extract nutrients in case you are pregnant. Right. So So it's very clever. Genius, but that's why you might get a dodgy tummy, either constipation or diarrhea. Well, usually it tends towards constipation because it's slowing everything down. You know, it can also be because we're eating not so great in that phase of the cycle and kind of tending towards beige sugary foods. Um, So that can have an impact too and not staying hydrated as well. But generally speaking, progesterone slows things down and can make you feel constipated um, and it can also make you feel a bit bloated too. You know, some women will jump up to dress sizes from pre-ovulation to post-ovulation. But then things can loosen up as you start your period. Right. This is also involved, so I'll kind of answer two questions at once, with why people get period pains and cramps. So when you are coming on your period, your body produces a substance or substances that are similar to hormones. They're not hormones, but they're called prostaglandins. And their job is to limit blood loss. So prostaglandins help our um, blood vessels to constrict and so that we don't bleed heavily when we have our period. But 
they can also cause pain and the message can spread beyond your uterus and it can spread to your digestive tract. So if you think about how your blood vessels are tightening, but also suddenly the lower end of your digestive tract is tightening as well. And that can suddenly make you need to go for a poo without the warning that you might have at other points in the cycle. So it's what I lovingly refer to as period poos because suddenly you're having to run for a toilet. Yeah, I would always get upset tummies in the beginning of my period. That's absolutely fair. So your cramps are basically constrictions of blood vessels. Yeah, and um, some people produce uh, stronger uterine contractions that they've measured and they actually are as strong or stronger than the contractions that women produce in the later phase of labour. No way. Yeah, it's full on. So interesting. And so another question, which obviously I've got to ask, is there anything that helps? Yes. Okay. And this is important to know. So first of all, it's important to know that cramps are common, but they are not normal. And I think because lots of us experience them, we tend to downplay them and just not think of them as something that's wrong when actually I would interpret it as your body's trying to communicate that something's not right. But the trouble is when we're socialised into just taking painkillers or to going to the doctor and having the pill which just shuts down the cycle or taking stronger painkillers, then we don't get to the bottom of what that message is or how to change it. That's so interesting. So I have a question on this. And I had really heavy periods when I first started my period about like 13 and kind of aged like 13, 14, 15. I mean, I remember one of my, I was at boarding school, one of my best girlfriends, she would be the same. We'd have to go to bed for a couple of days. Like it was just so heavy and we'd be so low and low in energy and things as a result. And it was horrible. And the first thing that the doctor did said was go on the pill to regulate it and my sister my girlfriends you know like I feel that that happened to everyone basically and you know it did work in in that capacity and then you know as I started getting into my more holistic journey and interest in health and well-being I said I really don't think I want to be on the pill anymore the the more I started to learn about it it's such a personal choice and no disrespect to to any listener because you've got to do what's right for you but for me it didn't feel right anymore and um, and I knew I'd want to get pregnant within the next few years. And so I just thought, I'm going to put it to one side. And I had my diet. It was so different now than it was when I first started my period. And obviously, it was also, I'm sure there's irregularities when you start your period anyway. But I don't have any period pains. Yeah. Not really. I mean, it's mildly uncomfortable for a day or so, but it's not painful at all. And my period is much more, it's much lighter. It's very, very regular. And it was none of those things before. And I always just assumed that was just me. But I had so many messages from women asking the exact same question ahead of today's episode. First of all, does diet stress, kind of just lifestyle management, does that impact on those PMS symptoms? Massively, absolutely massively. So a lot of these symptoms that we get, so bloating, breast tenderness, digestive issues, Conditions like fibroids, endometriosis, they are massively related to our our hormones and specifically estrogen. So we can develop a pattern of excess estrogen in relation to progesterone. And progesterone like keeps estrogen in check. Okay. But when we produce too much estrogen, uh, it creates a lot of these symptoms that sounds like a lot of your listeners have. Estrogen is a great hormone. 
it's wonderful. I call it the Beyonce hormone because it makes us quite sassy, positive, confident. You know, we want to use it and then we want to lose it. You don't want it hanging around in the body. And when it hangs around in the body, um, which can be for all sorts of reasons, you start to get these troublesome symptoms. And it's interesting what you said about when you first started getting your period, that they were heavier and that you had a different experience to now. My diet was also horrendous. Like I lived off Nutella toast. I have to yeah. so hold my hands up I think that. I survived on macaroni cheese. I was a rubbish <laughs> vegetarian in my teens. But what can be happening in our teen years, as well as when we're perimenopausal, so before our periods stop, but when we get symptoms of menopause, you can develop a hormonal balance of excess estrogen because you're not necessarily ovulating in every cycle. Right. So you can have a cycle where you don't ovulate, but you still have a period if your just hormones adjust enough to get one. And that can happen in the teen years where having cycles, but not necessarily ovulating all the time. So we're not producing enough progesterone to balance out ovulation because progesterone is only made as a result of ovulation. So it's quite normal for um, younger listeners or people with sort of teenage daughters, it's quite normal for those first few years of your period to be a little bit more troublesome, a little bit heavier, a little bit more symptomatic. And that's not a sign of potentially anything other than the fact that your body is basically just adjusting to a fundamentally new process. Yeah, exactly. And you've brought up my other point, which is that your body is also just very sensitive to these hormones because the receptors are getting used to them Mm. in the body. So it's interesting. I quite often speak to women who are perimenopausal and who are getting really heavy periods because they're not you know, they're reaching the end of their reproductive years and they're not ovulating all the time. But they often have teenage daughters who are having the same experience and they're just at the start of their reproductive years. And it's just because there's too much oestrogen in relation to progesterone. So there's lots of things that can be done to improve how we detoxify oestrogen and get it out of the body safely which is really important, really, really important because there are some routes that oestrogen can go down in the body that are associated with an increased risk of gene mutations and cancer risk. So it's really important that we all look at how uh, we're supporting oestrogen detoxification. So what in terms of lifestyle factors and our cycle, what should we be thinking about looking at what has an impact? So this will really vary, um, and I go into a lot of detail in my book about this, but it will vary depending on what your symptoms are and what particular hormonal imbalance you might have. So, for example, someone who has excess oestrogen, I will quite often recommend that they go and do something like hot yoga because sweating is a great way of excreting oestrogen. But someone who has low oestrogen, so they might have problems with memory recall, they might have vaginal dryness, painful sex. It's you know quite common, especially after having a baby, to have um, low oestrogen. So I will say to them, don't go to hot yoga. Please don't do lots of exercise, like limit your exercise to 20, 30 minutes at a time that's quite light or moderate in intensity because we're trying to build the body up rather than get things moving and clearing, which is what you want to do with excess oestrogen. So sweating, um, but it's important. I do like recommending saunas, but steam rooms are a no-go for me because in steam rooms, you're excreting chemical buildup in your body, 
but it's just getting recirculated in the water that's in the steam room. So you're essentially getting everyone else's toxic load as well as not getting rid of your own. So saunas are always preferable. Having lots of fibre in your diet. So we get rid of oestrogen by pooing. So pooing every day is important. You know, when I see women who are struggling with depression and things, speak to them about their digestion and it's often poor and they're often quite constipated and, you know, only pooing twice a week or something like that. And that is not ideal. Yeah, Um, and we did an episode on gut health and um, if anyone wants to listen in season one, and it's, you know, your serotonin, your immune system, you know, your gut brain axis, your gut is such a hub for what's going on in every part of the rest of your body. So if that's not in a good spot, it has such repercussions. Yeah. And it's um, a lot of the vegetables that are good sources of fibre are also cruciferous vegetables. So things like cauliflower, broccoli, kale, pak choy, uh, Brussels sprouts, all those vegetables are really important for liver health and they help us to get rid of oestrogen in a safe way and get it to go down the route that is favoured. So there's a lot of things like, yes, you can go to an acupuncturist. Yes, you can, you know, invest in all sorts of things. But really, the a basics. lot of the changes that you want to be doing are really basic. They're affordable things mm. that you can just small changes that you can make. Do you know, we come back to this time and every single episode ends up in the same thing, that of course you can do all these big fancy things, but actually, first and foremost, sleep, stress management, eat that five to ten a day, you know, drink your water, move your body gently, you know, it's it's amazing the impact those things can have. So I think we've got to talk about contraception because I think that's a really, really, really confusing topic. So the pill is obviously the kind of, I guess, the probably by a long way, the most used form of contraception. But I read something very interesting in your book, which was I think it was 50% of women who are on the pill are actually using it first and foremost for cycle management and regulating periods, which I thought was really, really interesting. There's a lot of confusing press around the pill. Is it good? Is it bad? Is it okay? What what is it? Yeah. It's a controversial topic and I'm not a fan of the pill. Like you, I fully support anyone who is taking it when it's been an informed choice and often it's not an informed choice and other methods aren't explored. And there are absolutely some people who could not survive their menstrual cycle intact unless they revert to taking the pill, which actually you don't have a menstrual cycle on the pill. You just have what's called withdrawal bleeds because you're you're not ovulating, so you're not having a period. But it does have a huge impact. And I was really pleased to hear earlier on when you said that you knew you were going to be wanting to have a kid. So you came off it a few years before that, because one of the things the pill does is it really depletes a lot of our vitamin and mineral stores. There's good research out there showing that. So it's important for anyone who does want to conceive that they come off it, I would say, two years before they start trying in order to top up those vitamins and minerals so that they can conceive with ease and have a healthy pregnancy and a healthy baby. But that also has an impact on what our menstrual cycle's like, what our mood's like. You know, it just has such big ramifications. There is large studies 
coming out of some countries showing that it's linked to depression and anxiety. And I think so many women have been reporting that anecdotally for years. And the thing that often women report to me as well is that the pill doesn't differentiate between the highs and lows. Mm. So, you know, often it's getting rid of the lows, but it's also getting rid of the highs as well. So life becomes a bit of meh, you know, it's, Mm. it's not... You don't get those peaks. You also don't get those troughs that you do with the menstrual cycle. But it it does have a huge impact and it also can have an impact on sexual desire. Some women will say that because the fear of conceiving is taken away by having a method of contraception that has quite a high rate of effectiveness if it's taken properly, and that can free up their sexual desire because that fear of conceiving goes. But it can also reduce sexual desire, it can increase vaginal dryness and there's there are some small studies but they could do with being replicated on a larger scale that show that your clitoris shrinks when you're on the pill, that the entrance to your vagina shrinks, you know, pe- sex becomes more painful. So I think we could do with questioning is the pill so effective as a method of contraception partly mm. because women are being put off having sex in the first place. That's so interesting. So what would you use instead? There are options out there. I wouldn't say they're all great. Yeah, it's a very difficult topic. It's really hard. Um, You know, it's like the best of a bad bunch Mm. a lot of the time. And and some things work well for women at a particular time in their life, but then they don't work at at another point. It's a tough one. Like I, and it's about what works for you in your relationship, Of course, exactly. That's the thing, because I'm sure if you're at a point where you're a bit more flexible in the outcome of your sex, then you can go down one route. Whereas if you're kind of exploring different relationships and got lots of different partners, you're going to want to go down a different route. You know, I personally like to use the fertility awareness method, which is actually a very scientific way of determining when you're fertile and when you're not in a cycle. That's worked really well for me. How how does that work? So you take your temperature orally first thing in the morning, yeah. every morning. And generally speaking, there's a lower set of temperatures before ovulation mm-hmm. and a higher range of temperatures after ovulation. Um, there's a lot of rules to follow with it. I've been using it for 15 or so years and I've never conceived without wanting to using it so it's worked really well for me but I do follow the rules and I know how to use it so it's important that when people are wanting to use that as contraception that they do seek out professional help and learn how to do it properly yeah you've got to take it quite seriously yeah exactly and there's some people it won't work for you know if you're working like if you're up with a baby all night long then you know you can't take a reliable temperature in the morning or if you're drinking a lot of alcohol that that can muck things up too And it's also paying attention to your cervical fluid that you produce Mm -hmm. across your cycle. And through that, and also monitoring cervical position if you want to, you can identify and get to know when your fertile window is. And that's when you would either abstain from penetrative sex or you'd use other methods like condoms. Just so fascinating. And I think it comes back to that same thing again of taking control of our health and, and celebrating you know, periods for what they are and the fact that they're the root of life in reality. And actually we're so, we've got so much to learn. I feel like we've almost even just scratched the surface today of how much more there is to learn. If you were going to give our readers and our listeners sort of 
we call it food for thought, you know, five takeaways, little nuggets of information that you think everyone should know about their period and their cycle or things to look at or think about. What would be your, your five? Definitely start with charting your cycle and you can do that in various ways you can get a free pdf from my website it's just a really uh, great way of getting started with things but really you just need a pen and paper or use an app whatever you want to do but just get to know your experience of your cycle first and foremost because that gives you power to go to medical professionals and say these are the symptoms I'm getting on these days and this is how it's affecting me and you know women's pain isn't listened to it's generally ignored and we're often fobbed off so being able to have accurate conversations with uh, your GP or whoever else might be involved is really helpful and it's helping them as well and also helps you in your understanding of yourself and in your relationships with others yes you you understand why you're behaving in a certain way or why you feel a certain way because you know it's because you're at that point in your cycle yeah absolutely so I would always start with that Tracking, tracking, tracking is really where so much of it is at. I would also say looking at what you're eating is going to be really key. So sometimes when I look at my clients' food diaries, they're not really getting much protein in until their evening meal. And that's really important for energy and also getting lots of healthy fats. Most of us have probably been brought up thinking that cholesterol is bad and that fat is bad, but healthy fats are really important for making hormones. I often will speak to women who have gone on a particular weight loss program, but find that suddenly they've got raging PMS. And when you look at like you, they're suddenly going fat free and really missing out on fats that are beneficial. Mm. So that's important. As I said, looking at cruciferous vegetables um, and just getting enough fibre, that can have a massive impact. I'm a big fan of orgasms personally and recommending them professionally. They can be really useful, particularly if you're prone to insomnia premenstrually. That's another um, big one that affects women. So masturbating can be really helpful with that. And it's also just a great way of getting in touch with your body and knowing what your um, genitals are like. And, you know, it's important that we have that relationship with our genitals and our reproductive system because we're the ones who are able to have the most contact with that part of our body and that's important for noting abnormalities, things that need to be looked at, especially when we want to reduce the instance of um, reproductive cancers. It's also, I have to make a point on that one as well, it's something that, again, we don't talk about that we, you know, you learn about male masturbation at school. No one talks about female masturbation. It's a kind of, again, another quite taboo subject, yeah. a whole nother episode. But in your book, you say that it wasn't until 1998 that the clitoris was mapped in full. And yes. that literally my jaw hit the ground. 1998, 20 yeah. years ago. That is insane. And even that it was 20 years ago, but it's still not depicted accurately in medical texts. Yeah, if it's included at all. And that's the thing. So your your clitoris, you, we see the external part, but there's actually most of it is unseen. Um, and it is like a wishbone that goes around the entrance to the vagina. Um, and there's a bulb deeper internally. It also has 8,000 nerve endings and a penis has four. Is that 4,000? Yes. So we're double as good as men. Yeah. So we've got tracking your sleep, eating properly so making sure you're getting protein and fats 
cruciferous vegetables and generally fiber. Yeah. Make sure you're having sex, masturbating, you're having orgasms. Yeah. And number five, read your book. Read my book. <laughs> Period. Honestly, it was meant to be. My publishers asked me for seventy to eighty thousand words, and it ended up being one hundred and twenty-six because there's just so much to it, and it doesn't account for everyone's experience. But there will be things in there that you can tease out and start bringing in, and it's it is life changing. You know, yeah, I know it's like a buzzword that we chuck around, but it really is. It's such. It's so important that we get to know ourselves in this way and it's instantly applicable and so easy to start and maintain. It's literally writing down one or two words a day if that's all you want to do. Yeah, no, I opened your book and I was like, God, I love this woman. We need more of this. Um, So thank you for coming to talk to us today. Honestly, it's so insightful. And linking back to other stuff, if you are interested in the gut, go back to season one, listening on gut health. If you are interested in the fats and proteins and hormones, listen to the two episodes we've done with Rhiannon um, on nutrition in season two on debunking diet myths and our nutrition 101 from this season as well and otherwise we will be back again next week Maisie thank you so much please read period power you will feel incredibly empowered and have a brilliant Tuesday everyone 